Hey, um, so check it out. I've never lost a foot race down a sand dune. Sound arrogant? Yeah, a little bit. Until that day. See, I grew up camping. That's what my family did. It's probably why I hate camping to this day, because every single summer we would spend at least two, sometimes three, even a little bit longer than that, sometimes weeks, camping. I'm the oldest of nine. There was 11 of us in a pop-up camper made for like six, okay? That meant sometimes you got stuck in the tent when it rained, like I'm uh, not a massive fan of camping to this day. Like to me, if I'm slumming it, it means I'm in a hotel. Like that's slumming it for me. But I did grow up every year going to one of my favorite places, still to this day, Warren Dunes State Park. You ever been to Warren Dunes? You've seen Tower Hill. That's like the big dune that everybody likes to walk up and then run down. Now, when you're a little kid, right, you walk up the dune and then what do you want to do? Run down it, exactly. But when you're a little kid, you usually got little legs and a big head, all right? And I especially did. And so you'd start running down the dune, but your legs couldn't keep up because your mom cut your hair into a big mushroom bowl cut. And so that meant that you had lots of top heavy weight. And so you would then fly down face first into the sand. And that sweet little mushroom bowl cut that you had is full of sand and your mouth got sand in it and you hit face first and scorpion over. And, but you get back up because you're flexible because you're young and you can do it again. I did realize that the older I got, the more I learned how to run down the hill faster without falling. It's all about how much you stretch. If you can get them legs going, you can start making up. And all of a sudden, I started becoming pretty fast going down the dune. Now, when I got into college, I worked at a camp up in Traverse City for three years. Every week, we would take the campers to a sand dune there near Traverse City. And we would get some of their energy out by running up, and they'd have some games while they were up there. But then we always drew a huge line for the junior high and high school students, and we would have a race to the bottom. And I won every race, even against people that on flat ground could beat me. When it came to going down a sand dune, no one could touch me. Now, word started to get around because it's not that big of a deal when you're in college to beat a junior high kid, all right? But I was beating all the high school kids, too. Again, not that big of a deal. And then, though, I was whooping all the counselors as well. Now, not every week. I was, because of my role at the camp, I was able to be there uh, at the sand dune every week. But not all the counselors got to go every week. So they started lobbying to be the person who could go to the sand dune so they could beat me. Because, like, I know I'm faster than you. There's no way that you'd beat me down a dune. And every single week, I would smoke them. Bragging a little bit. Yes, I am. And I continued to brag, actually, through my 20s and my 30s. And now I'm in my mid-30s. I'm a youth pastor. And we're on a youth trip with my high school students and leaders out at Lake Michigan. And there's a sand dune there. And I'm telling one of my leaders who ran track when he was in high school and also even ran cross country when he was in college. And, and I'm like, dude, yeah, I never lost. Like, I'm just like really fast. He's like, whatever, dude. He's like, I would smoke you. I'm like, all right, bring it. So some of the high school students, uh, a couple of the leaders, we climb all the way to the top of the dune, catch our breath, draw a line in the sand, and somebody goes, one, two, three. And before they said go, he took off. 
you punk, right? He's got way longer legs than me. He takes off. I take off. We're all running, and he's got like a step on me right at the beginning. But by the time we hit 50 yards, I'm even. By the time we hit 100 yards, I've got him by like two or three lengths already. I'm just floating. Until I feel and hear an incredibly painful pop in my right hamstring. I mean, it was so powerful, I actually heard it. I took one more step with my left leg and then went to take a step with my right, and I couldn't. And I tumbled down into the sand, and he ran past me, and I lost. Why did I lose? Because I stopped being flexible. Uh, My muscles didn't stretch like they used to when I was 25. I thought I could just keep running the way I used to run. I didn't think that it would require that I actually start to stretch my muscles to keep them in shape or drink water so that I would actually be hydrated. And I blew a hamstring out. In fact, I blew the hamstring out so bad, I literally couldn't walk for a month without a limp, and I couldn't run for about four months without feeling pain. I don't think I tore the entire thing off the bone, but I definitely shredded it in a major way. To this day, my right hamstring still feels tighter than my left. I lost because I stopped being flexible, and I think this is exactly what happens in the lives of a lot of churches. When churches first start off, kind of like us, because we're young, we're like three and a half years old as a church. Churches are like super flexible, right? They're passionate about the generation that's coming up behind them. They want to reach folks. They're willing to bend over backwards to love and to sacrifice, to do whatever is necessary to be able to share the gospel and care for people. Like that's what churches do when they're young, but something often happens in the lives of a lot of churches as they age. Not every single church, but most. They start to get a little less flexible. Start to become more rigid. They They start to look inwards. How is this church serving me? Is this church doing all the things that I like for them to do? Do they sing the music that I like for them to sing? Do they have their greeting time the way I like it? Do they have the coffee that I like? All the things that we start to then look inwards, which begins to make us more and more inflexible. When we start to look inwards that's when we begin to lose our race. And friends, if we stop being about the next generation, we lose our race. You guys know that we're in a series talking about our mission statement, right? We are a multiplying church, helping the next generation fall in love with Jesus to create better futures. Last week, we talked about multiplying. This week, we're talking about next generation. Next week, we're going to talk about loving Jesus. Multiplying church, next generation, falling in love with Jesus. If we don't pay attention to the calling that God has placed on our lives to pursue the next generation, we will lose our race. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. There's two verses, two little chunks of scripture that I want to look at this morning. And 1 Corinthians 9 is the first one. 1 Corinthians 9 is written by the Apostle Paul. He uh, used to hate Jesus. 
was actually persecuting people who followed Jesus, throwing them in jail, wrecking their uh, um, livelihoods. Paul winds up meeting Jesus, and Jesus transforms his life. And Paul becomes one of the greatest church planters that the world has ever known. He loves to talk about Jesus. He's willing to bend over backwards to help people know who Jesus is. In fact, if you were to read the section just before what we're about to read, starting in verse 24, you would see Paul saying, like, I'll do whatever it takes. To the weak, I become weak. If i got to act like a Jewish person around Jews so that I can help them know about Jesus, I'm willing to do it. If I'm going to be around people that aren't Jews, I'll act like that because I want to tell them. He's like, I won't go against or violate the law of Christ, but anything short of that, man, I'm all in. I'm flexible. Because that's what God had called Paul to do. Paul was like hardcore Jew. Loved the religious system he grew up in, in fact, was studying to be a Pharisee. He was on the rise. People looked up to him. And he loved his Jewish brothers and sisters. He was proud of his, his ethnicity. He would have loved it if God had said, hey, Paul, uh, I want you to stay in Israel and just keep building up the church there. But God didn't do that. God actually put a calling on Paul's life to leave his home country and travel around the Roman Empire to Gentile cities to share the love of Jesus with Gentiles. That was the calling that God put on his life. And so that's why he says in verse 24, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He says, therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, look, it matters that we train. This is a race that actually has eternal implications to go after folks that don't know Christ, to pay attention to the calling that God's put on your life. You got to run hard after that. Do whatever it takes. Now, the interesting thing about this is when Paul writes 1 Corinthians, we think he's somewhere in his like early to mid-50s. Paul dies when he's in his early to mid-60s. He's like at the end of his life. This isn't what we would call like prime of Paul's life. He's been back on, and he's like, I don't even care. I don't care how old I am. I'm still getting after it. I don't want to disqualify myself. I don't want to look back and talk about the glory years. I want to live the glory years until I'm gone. Paul says, I will still be flexible. I'll do what it takes because I know the calling that God has placed on my life. God called Paul to plant churches to reach the Gentiles. And God has called TLC to plant churches to reach the next generation. That's the calling that God has given to us. Now, I think it's important that we talk a little bit about it. It's not a new calling. We're not special. We're not the only church God's called to reach the next generation. But that is a very specific thing that he has called us to do. But I don't want to simply plant churches that the next generation is just like, ooh, this feels so nice. I love it. And then all of a sudden, they get to simply coast. Look, this concept is a biblical concept, all right? Uh, we see it in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses, he passes on his faith, his experience, leadership to Joshua. 
Jesus does the same thing with the disciples, passing on what he knows, pursuing the next generation with the disciples. Paul does the exact same thing, passing on what he knows, pursuing the next generation, and Timothy, that he would continue to do it. But I'm not simply interested in us creating churches where millennials just find themselves loving everything that happens and think that they just get to coast. In the Old Testament, we see God say to the nation of Israel, hey, you got to pursue the next generation. In fact, in Deuteronomy 6, 7, he says, when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, he's like, hey, uh, when you're in private and when you're in public, at the beginning of your day, at the end of your day. So everywhere and at all times, pursue the next generation, help them. In the New Testament, God also says in the book of Titus, he says, old men, you need to model what it looks like to have a living, active faith for the young men. Older women, you need to teach and come alongside the younger women so that they'll know what the faith actually looks like lived out in real life. That's the calling that God has been talking about all throughout Scripture. I think in many ways God actually began to plant this church like about 20 years ago. We're only three and a half years old, but back in 2001, Brenda and I were praying about where God was sending us next. Now, uh, you, if you've been here for very long, you know that I'm like a Chicago guy at heart, all right? I love my Bears. Sorry, Lions fans. That was a tragedy what happened last week, but I was very, very glad. I love my Cubs, all right? I love my Bulls. I, if I have to watch hockey, I'm going to root for the Blackhawks, okay? I love Chicago. Brendan and I were living in Chicago back in 2001. We were praying about where God was having us next. There was an opportunity in Chicago for us to stay there. There was an opportunity in Southern California, San Diego. They have nice weather. There was an opportunity in Northern California, and there was an opportunity in Grand Rapids. Of all the opportunities, let me just say this. Grand Rapids was not the top of our list, okay? Everybody was like, oh, Grand Rapids is a great place to raise a family. And that sounded like insider speak for super boring, right? That's what it, and in 2001, GR was pretty boring. Let's just be honest. But God called us here. And not only did God help Brenda and I fall in love with Grand Rapids, like you could put me on the board of tourism now. God also broke our hearts for the middle and high school students that I had the privilege of being their youth pastor for. And not just them, but all of their friends. And the reason that I say I think God started planting TLC back in 2001 is because that's one of the reasons he called us to this place. You see, a couple of years ago when we were praying about where God was asking us to plant the church, we knew he was calling us to plant the church. We believe in church planting, that it's God's heart. We said, all right, Lord, like, where do you want us to plant? I secretly was really, really hoping that he would say Grand Rapids. We weren't living here at the time. I love this place. I love the people. I wanted to come back here, and I wanted to plant a church to go after the next generation. But I had to pray about Detroit. I had to pray about Lansing. We went down to Tampa, Florida in February. I was like, Lord, your servant is willing. <laughs> like, send me, all right? But God called us to GR. And I believe that it's because he had been preparing us for nearly 20 years to plant this place. Because I had so many of my students that I love that went off to college and kind of wondered, is, is Jesus real? Is church worth it? 
Will Jesus actually transform my life? Is, is he the place that I can truly find my identity? And some of them began to wander away from the faith. And then they were getting older and getting married and even starting families. And I said, God, would you let me go back? Because I want to plant a church that's going to go hard after those folks. Are there lots of churches in GR? Yep, sure are. Are there good churches in GR? Yep, there are. But there is a massive need for churches in Grand Rapids that say we're going to go after the next generation. And we're not just going to let them find a church that they like and feels good to them where they can just coast. We're going to call them and model for them a life of sacrifice so that they won't simply learn how to love Jesus themselves, but they'll be willing to sacrifice for the generation coming up behind them. Why? Because that's the Jesus way. Flip over to our last passage this morning. Just a couple of books over, Philippians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, and you hit Philippians chapter 2. It's a pretty famous passage. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he's describing what Christ has done. Starting in verse 5, he says this, chapter 2, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, how you interact with each other. Interact the way Jesus does, the way Jesus is right now. He says, who being in the very nature, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he says, Jesus was God. He had the God card. He's living in heaven, but he didn't use the God card on himself. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God was in heaven. Jesus was in heaven. He didn't need to come down to earth. He had everything that he needed, but because of his love, because of the maturity, the perfection that God had, he said, I'm going to spend my strength on those in need. Jesus became weak so that we could become strong. Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. Jesus died so that we could live. Jesus spent his strength on us. That's what we're called to do. So if you like this church right now, awesome. I'm super glad. That's not an accident. We're trying to do that on purpose. But one of the things that we're trying to teach, especially the younger generations, is that church isn't just for you. Church is a place where you find Jesus and then learn to act like Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus spends his strength on those in need. So love this church right now, but let me tell you something. If this church looks the same in 20 years as it does now, then we will have failed as a church. If our church looks the same 20 years from now, we will have failed. I will have failed as a pastor. I will have failed as your leader because I will have gotten soft. I will have just started preaching and creating environments that just work for the people that I'm listening to. You will have failed because instead of following Jesus and the calling that he's placed on your life, you would have gotten inflexible and just started caring about yourself. Friends, we can't care only about ourselves. We always need to be looking to the generation behind us. That's what Jesus did. The most mature do the most sacrificing. We will bend over backwards to reach the next generation. If that scares you a little bit, good. You ever bent over backwards? 
No, something would break, okay? It wouldn't be a hamstring, I don't know what, but something would. But friends, that's what God has called us to do. We are a multiplying church, helping the next generation fall in love with Jesus to create better futures. That's what we're about. That's the calling God's given to us. That's the calling that God had given to Paul to reach the Gentiles. Paul wasn't the only one that was called to reach the Gentiles, just like we're not the only one that's called to reach the next generation, but we are going to be about it. And friends, we have to because there's too much at stake. Did you know that the millennial generation, which many of you are in there, is the least churched generation in the history of the United States? The least amount of people who claim to follow Jesus in the history of the United States. The generation that's coming up behind you millennials is going to be even more so. This isn't something that we can just run around aimlessly, as Paul says, or box in the air. Like, we have to have intentionality to go hard after this. Let me tell you why. You want to know why? The reason why is because Emily. Emily grew up, great home, parents who loved her. But they weren't particularly religious. She went to church a few times here and there, but... The idea that you could have a personal relationship with God was really just a foreign concept. Through a couple of interesting reasons that I don't have time to get into, she heard about this small Christian liberal arts college that had a good education, and it was on the other side of the state from where she grew up, and so she applied and was accepted and and got really excited, not because of Jesus, like, the fact that it was Christian really didn't make a hill being a difference. They just had the major she was interested in and was far enough away from her folks that it seemed like a cool thing. So she shows up. And pretty early on in her freshman year, she meets this girl who winds up becoming one of her best friends. And this girl that was one of Emily's best friends loved Jesus. Been a part of a church that had taught her what it meant to love Jesus and what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. And so this friend of Emily started praying for Emily. In fact, even bought Emily a Bible. And on the day she was going to give the Bible to Emily, she said, I, I knew I needed to share my faith with Emily. And so she, she and Emily sit down and, and she starts telling Emily about how Jesus has changed her life and the relationship that she has. And, and that the fact that she isn't basing her identity on what she does or how good she is in school or how this, that thing or the other she is. And rather, her identity is found in Jesus. And, and Emily, would you like to accept Jesus? Would you like to invite him into your life? Emily, he was willing to die on the cross for your sins. And, and he was raised back to life three days later because he's God, God's son. So would you like to receive Christ today? And Emily said, She didn't understand all of it at the time, but she said, yeah, I want that. I don't want to have to try to find my identity and how well I perform in academics or whether guys like me or whether I'm this thing or that thing or the other thing. Like, I want to find something that's better to put my identity in. And so she prayed to receive Christ. And she began a journey with Jesus. Now, a little bit later, this guy comes into her life, and this is where we're going to get some audience participation, okay? I'm going to need your help. You're going to have to cheer at some appropriate times, and you're going to have to boo at the right times as well. You ready for this? This guy comes into her life, and he invites her out on a first date, and on the very first date, he says, hey, uh, would you like to go to church with me? That's a cheer. 
Yay, wow, yay, good job. That's awesome, right? Then a couple months later, he dumps her. Boo, jerk. But because she had gone to church with him a couple times, she stays going to this church, and she starts to learn what a relationship with Jesus actually looks like and begins to grow. Yay. Then this jerk comes back into her life, though. But the good news is the jerk also loved Jesus and also learned to love Emily and eventually asked her to marry him. Yay! And this is a picture of Emily and her husband, Stephen, and their little baby. Emily is one of our elders now. Last week on Monday, we were having uh, a leadership team meeting. That's what we call our elders, our leadership team. And we're talking about our mission statement and what we're about, what we think God's called us to do. And the more that we're talking about it, I start to get kind of passionate because, like, that's what fires me up. And she was kind of sitting back a little bit from everybody. And I noticed, and I don't think anybody else could see it, she started getting tears in her eyes. And I called her say, hey, Emily, would you mind if I shared your story? And she said, yeah. And I said, why were you getting tears? And she said, the reason I was getting tears in my eyes is because I'm that person that our church is trying to reach. She says, but it wasn't just that. I felt such gratitude for the fact that Jesus loved me so much that he was willing to come after me and that somebody loved me enough to tell me about Jesus and and invite me into a relationship with him. She's like, I was super uh, grateful for that. But more than that, when I first became a Christian, she said, I never felt like I was going to be good enough, know enough, qualified enough to be able to do for others what had been done for me. And she said, and now here I am almost a decade later. And I looked at what God had done. She says, I never would have believed it. You see, Emily isn't just on our leadership team as one of our elders. Emily is also serving in our children's ministry, or sorry, our youth ministry, where she's pouring her life into the generation that's coming up behind her. You see, Emily got it. It's not just about Emily. God saved Emily because of what he wanted Emily to do in the lives of people like Bella, who's my freshman daughter. You see, I had the privilege of building in to Emily's life because I happened to be one of the pastors at that church where she started finding Jesus more and more. But now Emily is pouring into the life of my own daughter. You see, that, friends, is what we are about. We are about the next generation. And that's why it's so important that we go hard after this, that we don't sit back and say, hey, we'll just see how it works. If you like this church and you're in your 20s, 30s, that's not an accident. But friends, it can't just be about what you like in 10 years from now, 20 years from now. The purpose that you're here is to find Jesus so that you can become like Jesus. I hope I don't like this church a whole ton in 20 years because of the style. I hope that I like this church a whole ton because of the people that I'm able to invest in and pass my faith on to that are also loving on the people coming up behind them that they're passing their faith on to. Now, just because this church is purposefully pursuing the next generation doesn't mean that we don't care about and disciple old people like me. We do. 
Paul had a calling from God to go after the Gentiles. But you know what Paul did when he went into certain city, or any, almost any Roman city? He first went to the synagogue and preached to his Jewish brothers and sisters. Why? Because he loved them. Look, I still love my friends who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. I hope we get more of us. We need more of us because we've got a lot of young folks that need older people to model this act of sacrifice and love and service. But we're never going to forget what God has called us to. Paul might have started there, but he knew he was still going into the city. God has called us to be a multiplying church, pursuing the next generation to help them fall in love with Jesus to create better futures. And friends, that's what we're going to be about. Psalm 78 says, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. TLC. Let's stay flexible. Let's run the race that God has called us to run. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. Let this be our prayer. Let this be our promise. Let this be our pursuit. So I don't care where you're at right now, how old you are. There is somebody who is younger than you that Jesus needs you to be thinking about. If you're in high school, it's middle school students. If you're in middle school, it's children. If you're in college, it could be some folks in your dorm room. It could be folks coming up behind you. If you're in your 30s and 40s, it's going to be the generation behind us. If you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, octogenarians, give me some 100-year-old folks in here. It's going to be the folks below you. Who is it that God is asking you to go after? Who's your Emily? Our church exists to go after the Emily's. So right now, I want you just to close your eyes as we close. And I just want you to think, all right, who's my Emily? The Apostle Paul had his Timothy. Moses had his Joshua. Who's that person? I want you just to visualize, think of one person. Maybe it's somebody in your dorm. Maybe it's somebody in your high school. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend that you've known for 60 years. If we're going to stay flexible and run the race that God has called us to, we have to go after the next generation, regardless of our age. When you have that person in your mind, just ask God, God, what do you want me to do? God, thank you that you don't give up on us, that you are always pursuing us. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to leave heaven, that you were willing to spend your God card on us. You became weak so that we could become strong. You became rich so that, or poor so that we could become rich. You gave your life so that we could find life. Jesus, let us be that people. Thank you for the calling that you've given us. We know that we're not the only church 
But Jesus, we, like Paul, want to run the race. We want to run it well. We don't want to run aimlessly. We don't want to play around. We want to get after it. So would you help us? God, there's a lot of things that we're supposed to do, but Jesus, if you don't show up, Spirit, if you are not drawing and transforming people's hearts and minds, God, we're just playing. And God, we don't want to play. We want to be a part of a church where you are changing the future. Thank you for this calling. Let us live into it with everything we have. And let us do that now as we leave these doors. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.